And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show. We're talking all things Chelsea. Today, the headlines of this transfer window and beyond have seemed to be Chelsea-dominated of late. So I thought it was only right to bring in an expert on the matter. So I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today by the Athletics' very own Liam Toomey, Chelsea correspondent. How you doing, Liam? I'm great. It's great to be here, Jack. Thank you for hopping on. And look, there's plenty to discuss. And I think when it comes to transfer windows, Chelsea tend to be in the headlines. So I imagine you've been a very, very busy man of late, but the headline news, at least today, is that Jao Felix has joined Chelsea on a loan fee. It looks like it's around an 11 million euro fee being reported by the Athletic Plus Chelsea covering Jao Felix's wages in full until the end of the season. No option to buy. How do you feel about this? Because it's one of those strange deals where I know Chelsea like nice, shiny things. And Joao Felix at the moment feels like a nice, shiny thing that Chelsea have got their hands on. And look, they could do with creative impetus up front. I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. But does this solve the problems that the club have right now? He is kind of the nicest, shiniest type of player, isn't he? Um, yeah. a, a, a 10 or nine and a half who can do unexpected things and really excite people. But Chelsea already have a lot of those types of players um, in the squad. Fair enough, not all of them are fit right now. Um, And of course, as of the last Manchester City game, Raheem Sterling is out and and Christian Pulisic is is out at least for a a couple of months, um, Graham Potts has confirmed. So Chelsea do have an immediate need in that position. Um, And they just have a more general funk at that end of the pitch. They need to find some sort of inspiration, whether that is, you know, working collectively to get the system going. That's that's what Potter likes talking about, is trying to fix the team, or it's some individual quality and, and someone showing a little bit of magic on their own. And, um, and I think we've seen more in flashes, but I think he's done it against the English teams in the Champions League, that, that Felix is the type of player who can do that even against high-level opposition. Uh, in terms of how I feel about it, I, I, I tend to try and look at these things in sort of Chelsea historical context. And when I think mid-season loans, my first thought is like Alexander Pato, <laughs> yeah. who who arrived in the last season that was going as badly as this one in 2015-16. Um, and uh, I mean... Pato was at a very different stage of his career to, yeah, to Felix. Let's get that straight. And, and his stock was nowhere near as high. But I think some of the same challenges will be there for Felix in terms of adapting to a new team, a new league. When things aren't going well, you're not coming into a system where everyone is flying and confidence is high. 
you will be asked to try and lift people as well as make that adjustment. And there isn't a lot of time. You know, he, Chelsea need him in order for, for, for this 11 million euro loan fee plus the full wages. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a 17 million euro commitment for five and a half months. Chelsea need him to hit the ground running and they need to make, they need him to make an immediate impact. If the Premier League campaign is to have any chance of being salvaged and if they're to, to have a, a even a puncher's chance of, of beating Borussia Dortmund in the, in the Champions League round of 16. So there's not a great margin for error here. Um, and there's also doesn't appear to be much long-term gain. I mean, the one thing we didn't know when we were initially reporting this deal was that Felix would also sign a contract extension with Atletico before he left. That was a very, it was a very Chelsea thing of them to do um, before yeah. loaning him out until the end of the season. And now there are reports that Diego Simeone could be gone from Atletico at the end of the, the season. So the the main issue that was sort of stalling Felix's career in the Spanish capital could be could be removed and Chelsea I think that the the fear is that you know even if you win this deal you may not necessarily win this deal in that if Felix plays really well he may not be available to buy anyway um because Atletico just decide to keep him and make him the centerpiece of their new era um and if he doesn't do well of course it's it, it's money more money down the drain after 250 million in transfer fees last summer which hasn't made Chelsea any better on the pitch yeah I think it's interesting and and I think you know as you say that there's the option of it being a lose-lose and actually in, in many ways for both clubs because I've seen Atleti sources talking about the fact that if he does really well then great maybe they can get a fee for him or as you say if Simeone departs then maybe he gets a new start under a new manager if he does badly yes Chelsea lose in the in the short term but Athletic gain nothing on a on a long term prospect who they spent a hundred million on. So you're looking at a, a kind of situation here where it kind of has to work out for player and for both clubs in order for anyone to really salvage something out of this. I was talking to you know some Chelsea friends about this, and we came to the conclusion that whilst there is that element, and people are immediately going to jump to the oh, Joao Felix. Kai have a similar kind of technicians in some ways in, in terms of how they how they are on the ball. Felix's work rate and his application on the pitch is more obvious. And I'm not saying that Kai Havertz doesn't work hard, but I think his style gives the impression a lot of the time that he isn't, you know, basically putting it all in. Whereas I think you don't get that from Felix, which should enamor him to fans a little bit more. I think he has the ability to make things happen on his own a little bit more, whereas Kai Havertz is one of those players who works really well in a system that's working. And I think that's part of the problem. But you have this and, and this option, and we saw Felix come out today in his opening remarks at Chelsea and say, I like to play off a striker. I like to play off a number nine, you know, in those spaces behind that. And with the kind of further reports that Aubameyang might be off in, in order to make another load of chain reaction deals happen, it does strike me as maybe Chelsea don't have that player for him to play off. And I'm not sure that Havertz-Felix pivot up top is going to be the answer that Chelsea need in the short term. Well, this has been a fundamental problem for Chelsea um, for a number of years, really, in that they have a lot of attackers who are maximised and have been maximised at their previous clubs as sort of second strikers, left-right tens, um, these these little bespoke roles that aren't quite wingers but aren't quite um, midfield creators. I think you'd probably put Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic both in that bracket 
Um, Timo Werner was in that bracket when he was at Chelsea. And Christian Nkuku, who's coming at the end of the season, is someone who has flourished at RB Leipzig in that kind of role. And Chelsea don't have the number nine for them to play off. They were... They have a pretty expensive one parked on loan at Inter, but um, you know that that situation looks no closer to being one that Chelsea can salvage. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's awkward to see the fit. It does ha- carry the potential advantage, you know, that I think was harnessed in the first few months of Tuchel's tenure when they made that big Champions League run of the potential of being a very um, fluid, almost positionless front line as long as you have you know, three forwards that all work hard and press. And, you know, Havertz does do that. I I get what you say completely about his sort of languid style, but he really, he really does work aside from his other flaws. Um, Felix absolutely fits into that. Mason Mount fits into that. I think Sterling and Pulisic both, both do as well when they're healthy. Um, There is an, an option at least to maybe get back to what was the closest that Tuchel ever got to having some sort of attacking identity at Chelsea, which was immediately lost when they signed Lukaku. And the other thing I think that is the potential upside of this deal, aside from Felix's rare talent, is that you you should be getting a player who couldn't possibly be more motivated. You know, he's he's been chomping at the bit, not getting the minutes that he feels that he deserves at Atletico. And when he does play, he doesn't feel he's being used correctly. He doesn't feel he can express himself. Um and now he's he's coming to a team that yes have long-standing attacking issues of their own, but but really need his inspiration. Um, and you know if, if he can if he can make an immediate impact, he's essentially playing for his next move, whether that's for Chelsea or to another Premier League club maybe, or even to convince Atletico, perhaps post Simeone, that he can still be you know the centerpiece of what they're doing. Yeah, perhaps he can be the, the lightning rod through which this Chelsea team goes on to attack. I, I think that's a really fair point. Um, something that kind of comes out of all of this, and it takes us quite nicely on to, to where I wanted to go next, was uh, into the kind of Enzo Fernandez deal that seems to have fallen through. Now, you never say never with Chelsea because you know that they can always come back to the table. But that seems like a potential overpay, sure, but at least addressing a position of immediate need within this Chelsea side. And I think what this comes into and, and so I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on the Enzo situation and, and how it kind of unfolded but also on what it looks like on the ownership and whether there is a strategy here in terms of picking players up and I know that there's been other additions Andre Santos uh, David uh, Fafana as, as well and when you look at these players that feels more like okay we're going to source and we're going to go and actually pick these players out your Enzo Fernandez is of a year ago at River Plate for 10 million who went to Benfica rather than trying to pay 120 million for them now fine so there seems to be these kind of dual strategies going on at Chelsea and that one side is planning for the future in in Fafana in Casadei in Chukwameka who's obviously coming to the fore but also then there's this kind of short-termism of going Ah, we need something now. Uh, Jao Felix, Enzo Fernandez, they played well at the World Cup. And and it sort of feels like there's two strands of this transfer strategy going on at once. Yeah, it's definitely a twin track recruitment uh, plan. And you could see it even as early as last summer before they'd hired all of these recruitment executives from other clubs where they were keenly aware coming in that they needed succession plans in, in, in some key areas of the pitch. Of course, last summer central defence was the, the number one priority because Rudiger and Christensen had, had been allowed to leave for nothing. So they spend big on Fafana because 
and they kind of, I think they overlook some potential injury questions that were already there with him um, because they saw him as the kind of guy that could be a foundational pillar of their defence. And I think they they view Benoit Badiashil in, in that sort of bracket as well. Um, and now you're seeing that the next big priority for them is midfield because the three midfielders that have defined Chelsea in that area of the pitch have all been there for a very long time. Kante since 2016, Jorginho and Kovacic since 2018. Um, and two of those guys are out of contract at the end of the season and, and Kovacic will only have a year to run. So while I think, you know, particularly in the cases of Kante and Kovacic, Chelsea want to keep them around um, and, and be part of the kind of bridge to the future, um, they they do recognise the need to get a high-end um new playmaker in and maybe also sort of shift the profile of that midfield a little bit because it has been so skewed towards the technical and maybe away from the more physical athletic side that we see in many Premier League midfields when ideally you want to be ticking all of those boxes Um, and I think the best teams do you look at Manchester City with Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne and Liverpool with Fabinho and when Jordan Henderson was at, was at his peak, you know, he, he was that kind of athlete as well as being technically very good. Um, so those are the kind of players that Chelsea are looking at. I think they looked at Enzo Fernandez and saw someone who could potentially tick all of those boxes. Um, I, I, I really like what I've seen of Enzo Fernandez. I've only really seen him at the World Cup. I did not watch Benfica in the Champions League group stage, although he, he, he appears he played very well there as well. My personal feeling on it was that it would have been an insane price um, to to pay at at this point in time, given how little body of work that Enzo Fernandez has compiled. You know, it's extremely impressive, but he's he's come a long way to international prominence in about six months. And I think if you're pay, if you're making that guy the most expensive Premier League player ever you are basically pricing him at his best case scenario outcome. You know, he has to be one of the best midfield playmakers of his generation or it's a failed transfer. And I think that's why you look at a lot of those most expensive transfers ever and it's like a litany of disappointment because you are setting the bar for success almost impossibly high. And I don't think a price tag like that would have been fair to Enzo Fernandez as much as anything. Um, but someone will probably end up paying it at some point, but maybe by that stage we'll have a bit more evidence and a a bit more clarity on exactly how good he is. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com Slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And actually, I think it's really interesting what you say there about the physicality of Chelsea's midfield because I think that's been a, a real issue this season. And, and you look at it and you go, can teams just steamroll through Chelsea? And, and, and obviously, there's a Southwest Six derby coming up tomorrow night uh, against Fulham. And actually, one of Fulham's strengths has been that kind of physical profile in midfield. And you look at it and go, right, how are Chelsea going to deal with that? Now, Zachariah's emergence, I think, helps. Um, that kind of change from being a bit part player to a relatively key part of the Chelsea midfield in a very short space of time. But you still look at that and go, well, the Fulham probably have the edge in that midfield battle physically right now. And that's not a place where Chelsea want to be. It's not a, a place where they'll feel that they fit. And, and I think it's interesting just to kind of look at who they're bringing in. I think Enzo's a wonderful player. I've watched a fair bit of him in the Primera and, and in the Champions League. And, and I do think he will be excellent. But I completely agree with you in that pricing someone at where they are, where they could be in five years is, is, is an incredibly dangerous game. And, and especially, you know, obviously it feels like Chelsea have money to spend at the moment and that's great and, and it's good for the club and they're obviously able to invest. But in terms of actually making sure that that works in a wise manner, I think it might have been sensible that Chelsea did step back from their original figures. But I mean, where does that leave us in terms of what Chelsea need for this window and how they're spending their money? Because it fit, there's a long way to go. Badishile's come in. Obviously, Jao Felix has now come in. Enzo was touted, but that seems to have fallen through. There's a couple of youngsters who you feel like aren't probably going to get the breaks this season in order to make a, a difference straight away. Where are Chelsea still light? Is it in that midfield area? Well, I think um, if you'd asked many fans before the Felix deal happened, they probably would have ranked three other priorities ahead of acquiring a player like Felix, which was, you know, a, a number nine who could be a reliable high level goal scorer. Um, always a need at Chelsea. That kind of midfielder that could be a, a bridge to the future, whether that's Enzo Fernandez or someone else. Um, and someone who can really credibly um, deputize for Reese James given his fitness record on the right of defense. I think it's it's increasingly clear that, you know, Cesar Espelicueta is has, has been an absolutely wonderful servant for Chelsea. And I think he continues to be and will continue to be a, an amazing ambassador for the club. Um, but I think he's at a stage of his career where if you're looking at him actually playing on the pitch, I think he can only really play at this point as the right-sided centre-back in a three um, because he, he just doesn't have the legs to get up and down as a, as a full-back or a wing-back and compete with the level of athlete that you are routinely competing against in that position in in the Premier League, um, so those three areas are all, you know, are all priorities at least in the eyes of many fans. Um, I think Chelsea would love to tick all of those boxes in this window, but there's a there's a bigger question at play, and you know, I wrote about this recently on the Athletic of there is an opportunity cost 
to what you do in this window. You know, there's a reason why the most successful clubs don't generally spend in January and it's because the best players are not typically available in January. They're usually in good situations for teams that have plenty to play for and don't want to be disrupted mid-season. That's why you get quoted prices like Enzo Fernandez's release clause because those prices are intended to be deterrents, not to encourage interest. Um, so there are premiums associated with January spending. And I think, you know, you could say maybe this is the last window Chelsea can pitch themselves to signings as a Champions League club, given the way this season's going. But on the other hand, you've got all these really um, promising, highly regarded executives that you've just brought in to this new look recruitment operation. You're talking big about being more diligent, data-led, uh, leaving no stone unturned to identify talent and value in the market. If you really believe in that, and if you really believe that that's going to be the way you, you, the club will operate, surely you back yourself, whether you have Champions League football to offer or not, to go into the market in the summer, having properly planned and put things in motion and find the right players to to improve your team. Um, uh, there, there is an opportunity cost to doing business now because any money you spend now, you can't spend later. And if you spend £105 million on Enzo Fernandez, pricing him as one of the best midfielders of his generation, and he falls anywhere short of that, we've already seen with Fernandez that football moves very quickly. You know, he wasn't this well known six, even six months ago. In another six months, in another year, there could be another player that top clubs are talking about in that position. Um, and if you've spent this money now, you can't then go for that player. So I think there's a there's a real argument for patience as well. I think that there should be a realistic acknowledgement that this season is likely gone. I was looking at 538 and they were giving Chelsea a 9% chance of making the top four, which is lower than Brighton. Um, they'd, they're, you know, they'd look very unlikely, to put it mildly, to win the Champions League. And, and, and that's it for this season. So um, I think there's a real argument for kind of, you know, taking stock, uh, putting real plans in place for the summer, which is something that they circumstances did not allow for last year and prioritizing swinging and hitting as many times as possible in next summer's market market rather than missing expensively, which is what it already looks like they did uh, six months ago. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. I, I think that's a fair point. It's a hard one to, for fans to stomach, obviously, at, at times to be like, hang on, how have we gone from here to here? But sometimes it does take patience in a rebuild. And, and those are things that happen. And just before we go, Liam, I wanted to talk to you about Christian Pulisic and the injury that, that he's picked up. I know that a lot of our, our listeners in the US will be slightly concerned uh, that, that this is looks now like it's going to be a couple of months rather than a couple of weeks. Um, what did Graham Potter say about it and, and what do you know about the situation? Um, you know, Graham Potter was asked more generally about it, the injury situation and he said that uh, Pulisic is out for a couple of months. He said hopefully less, but, you know, that is the prognosis right now. It's, it's I think... Thinking back over Pulisic's Chelsea career, you know, he's had a very unlucky time with injuries. This seems to be by far the unluckiest injury that he's had because most of the injuries that he suffered have been muscle injuries that, you know, can can happen from time to time if you've got, particularly if you've got a weakness in, in your area of, in an area of your body, it can keep coming back. And he's had a lot of hamstring problems. 
this is an impact injury. He was taking a shot. He got tack- he got tackled cleanly by John Stones, um, and in the words of Potter, opened his knee, um, which suggests some some knee ligament damage. Um, I, it's incredibly unlucky for him because I think he went off to the World Cup quite fresh. He 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 very much enjoyed that experience, although of course it ended in disappointment for the US against Netherlands. I think he he largely played well and played up to his talismanic status with the national team and he came back to Chelsea and the early signs were at least in that Bournemouth game it's the only game Chelsea have looked good in so far um, he looked lively he looked dangerous he looked quite confident he was dovetailing well with Chelsea's other forwards um, you know when fi- when things failed in, in the games after that it appeared more really systemic than individual um, and he, he was in position to get a real run of games, which is something that he's rarely had at Chelsea. And now he's, he's facing another lengthy spell on the, on the sidelines. And and you t- if you're talking about two months, you're talking about then facing a fight to get back into your, your peak form, you know, for the, for the end of the season, by which time there might not be anything to play for anyway. Um, and the other aspect to this is as well, is that, you know, Pulisic has, has wanted a change in his career for what, for quite a while now. Um, I think it's, it's no secret that you know he wanted to leave Chelsea last summer, and not because he d- doesn't like being at Chelsea, but just because it's hard to avoid the conclusion that his career has stalled at the club, and um, he he didn't think his prospects were very good under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, the the situation initially, at least, didn't meaningfully change under Graham Potter, although there there are no personal issues there, as as, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think he, he he just feels like he needs to change. But another ripple effect of this injury is that it, re- I think it almost certainly removes any prospect of him leaving Chelsea in this window um, because no one's going to move for a player who can't play for another two months. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those where off the back of that World Cup and off the back of that confidence that felt like it was flowing through him. Obviously, you saw some of those performances. The goal against Iran was a a player who knew exactly what he wanted and had no qualms about letting anyone get in the way of of stopping him getting there. And I think that's one of those things. He came back to Chelsea and would have felt like he had the opportunity to, to show his worth. And for it to have ended in these kind of circumstances is just... Another one of those things in the career of Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, I think. And as you say, it's just felt like Lady Luck hasn't shone upon him in, in many ways in his time uh, at Stamford Bridge. Uh, if he wants to link, re- relink back up, though, with Anthony Robinson in the summer, he, he is welcome down the road at Craven Cottage. So I will, I will leave that one on the table for you um, as a last point. Um, thank you, Liam, so much for, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Pleasure to be here, Jack. Thank you to you all for listening to the Athletic Soccer Show today as ever. I've been Jack Collins and we'll be back with you next week with the Weekend Review, which is returning in full. Take it easy, guys. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.